came over on Friday evening and we're here till tomorrow uh, morning. And uh, I guess, explain a little bit about myself. I'm a mum. I've got two grown-up daughters who are married and I've got grandchildren. I love riding my bike. I love riding my bike through the woods and the forests and shouting yahoo as I go and making a lot of noise as I go to kind of let, let, let rip as it were. Um, I love reading books, I love reading de uh, detective books, but most of all in life, I love Jesus. And I've been a believer for 40 years now, and have worked in lots of different uh, situations, different, lived in different nations, and I guess what overwhelms me most, what overwhelms me most is that God longs for an intimate relationship with us and we've just been singing haven't we just so clearly about our longing for intimacy with Jesus but do you know what I wonder if you've ever thought how much he passionately longs for intimacy with you actually this relationship is reciprocal and he aches for relationship with you so much so that he sent Jesus for us. And so tonight, I want us to have a conversation together. And a conversation together about faith, and a conversation about some of the battles of faith, and a conversation about mustard seeds. I guess you've got your mustard seeds, tiny, tiny little seeds. And I've known Owen and Becky probably six, seven years now and I started to know them when they lived in Worcester. I first met Becky at her sister's wedding and as she was coming out of the foyer God gave me a word for Becky and our relationship started from there and since then I've got to know Owen and the girls and just love them to bits. Anyway Owen asked me to speak on this verse from Matthew and it's Matthew 17 verse 20 and it's on page 984 in your red Bibles but it's just one verse but I'm going to give you a context around the verse and then we're going to see where God wants to take us so Matthew 17 verse 20 page 984 in your Red Bibles. And it says this, and this is Jesus talking to his disciples. And he says, you don't have enough faith, Jesus told them. I tell you the truth, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. Let's put a little bit of context in that. Here's uh, a crowd of people and around the crowd are the disciples and in the midst of them comes this man and he, he says to Jesus, would you heal my son because I've asked your disciples to pray for him and heal him and it's not happened. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. 
And then Jesus makes a retort to the generation generally. And then he says to the disciples, if only you had more faith. But I want to read the context of this from verse 17. And verse 17, and I'm going to read it in the message translation, okay? Because I think Jesus is quite hard hitting here. You don't have enough faith. But sometimes I feel as though I don't have enough faith. And so this is what Jesus says in verse 17. And he's saying this to the general crowd, okay? And he says this. What a generation. No sense of God. No focus for your lives. How many times do I have to go over these things? How much longer do I have to put up with this? I wonder if you feel like that as a parent with your kids sometimes. But hear what he's saying to the generation, to the crowd. What a generation, no sense of God, no focus for your lives. How many times do I have to go over this? And then he talks to the disciples separately. Because they're asking, why couldn't we heal this boy? And he says to them, and I'm going to read this from the message, because you're not taking God seriously. Whoa. I'd like us to do a health checkup, a spiritual health checkup. And I'd like us to ask a few questions just for a minute. Do you and I have a daily sense of God? Because you see, Jesus was talking to the disciples, and I think we are Jesus' disciples, and I think he would still ask the same question. Do we have a daily sense of God? Do we take time with him? Are we hungry for him? What is the actual focus for our lives? Where is your focus on a day-to-day -day level? Does it just fit into five minutes of your day? Or do you ponder him through your day, through your evening? Do you ask him questions? I often go for a walk with God before I start work and I'll say to him, what do you think about those birds, God? What do you think about the change in the colour of the leaves, God? What is our focus on a day-to-day -day level? Or do you just squash him in somewhere? Let's be real tonight and do a health checkup. Are we acting on what God says to us? Are we really, really listening? Owen said tonight, let's listen. Are we listening? And dare I ask, are we being obedient to what he's saying to us? Are we taking God seriously? Or when we pray, do we just pray for what we want rather than hearing what God wants? on what he would like to see happen. Can you hear the difference? 
On a scale of 0 to 10, how would you answer those questions for yourself? Just quietly think. You see, we need to hear the heart of Jesus here. He's actually highlighting unbelief. Whilst at the same time, he's teaching on the power available to those who have faith as small as a mustard seed. Just look at the mustard seed in your hands. What do you have faith for as small as those mustard seeds? You see, the seed in this context is a byword for the smallest thing imaginable. The everyday miracle in the world of nature that transforms the seed into a tree can be repeated in the spiritual world. Let's put it another way. Jesus is saying that the reign of God may seem small, but it's destined to embrace much. Let's put it another way. Unimaginable endings will come from unremarkable beginnings. A mustard seed is unremarkable. But God wants to do unimaginably more than we can ask or think from your mustard seed of faith. And as I was praying for St. Catherine's, I just felt God was saying, don't despise the day small beginnings. God wants to do something absolutely unimaginable here that you've never thought of or considered before. But we need to ask ourselves, where are we in our relationship with Jesus? We too, as a culture, fail to trust God and within, within us, like the disciples, is that unbelief of this generation being reflected. The battle for faith is at work in you and in me and in the generations around us. And it is a battle for faith. And Jesus is appealing to an unresponsive world here and here. If we think about Matthew 6, 30, it talks about the lilies in the field and don't worry about anything. And yet God is saying, why do you have so little faith? In Matthew 14, 31, Peter's climbing out of the boat and he starts to sink and Jesus says, you have so little faith, why do you doubt me? Why, oh why? In Matthew 21, 21, he says, I tell you the truth, if you had faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can say to this mountain, move and be thrown into the sea. But the truth is that you and I, like the disciples, have doubting faith. How many of you here don't have doubting faith? We all do, don't we? So why don't we take a journey about faith? And I want to just talk a bit about the battle 
of faith that began in the Garden of Eden. And here we are in the Garden of Eden and we have Adam and Eve and Jesus, God God walking in the garden. And I love it because God walks in the cool of the evening with Adam and Eve and they have amazing conversations. Can you imagine that? Imagine just walking along, having these amazing conversations with God. But then what happens? Whatever we believe about the apple and the, and the serpent, but what happens is that an, a different significant voice other than God comes along. We might call him Satan, devil, adversary. He comes along and he says, did God really say you must not eat from the fruit of any of these trees in the garden. Right there is the seed of doubt. Right there it starts. Did God really say? And Adam and Eve chose at that very moment to listen to a different significant voice. And that is where the battle of faith begins, guys. Right there, they chose to listen to a different significant voice and at that moment, their relationship with God changed forever. Right there, generation after generation, our relationship has changed with God until Jesus came to change it back again. But right at that moment, what happened was their relational posture changed. And this is so important that we understand this. Because right there, at that moment, they went from a relationship that was completely surrendered, completely believing, completely trusting, to a posture of doubt, to a posture of independence, to a posture of separation, to a posture of starting to control life themselves. And therefore, we see the battle. And I'd want to suggest to you that the battle for your faith starts in your mind every single day, every single moment. And the doubt will always be about God's identity. And it will always be about your identity. Always. Did God say, Am I lovable? Am I significant? Am I accepted? There's the battle right there. And so what happens is that you and I have these questions. Did God really say? Will God do? Will God provide? It affects our prayer life day in, day out. That constant choice of the great cloud of witnesses before us was and still is surrender, trust, belief, and faith versus fear, distrust, disbelief. That war goes on constantly for us, constantly, and it will constantly affect our prayer life. So it's a very real battle, the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. And this is what it might look like in diagram form. So in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve are totally surrendered in a loving relationship 
they're in a, a place of safety, in abiding trust emotionally, spiritually, physically, and they're in a posture of faith, belief and knowing. Then through choice, they move to a place of separation from each other. They start blaming each other. They move to a posture of separation internally, to a place of dis-ease, of guilt, of fear and shame. Indeed, that's where mental ill health started, right there. And they move from a, into a posture of orphanhood. And so what we see then is that mankind moves into that posture of danger, where there's threat, and into fear, and into wanting to control. My way, my strategies, and a distortion of God. Can you see the posture shift that took place in the Garden of Eden? And so we have to ask ourselves, what posture are you and I standing in? Are we in the posture of surrender and trusting and of faith? Or are we in the posture of battling and fear and control? And I want to suggest to you that we do this. All the time. And it's very, very tiring. It's tiring. And how many of you love to be in control? You don't have to answer, but how many of you do? <laughs> About Owen's pointing at Becky. Yeah. We do. Why do we want to be in control? Because we're fearful, because we're anxious, and we build up our own strategies to protect ourselves rather than turning to God and walking in faith. And we all do it. And that is the battle of faith. And that is the battle in prayer. So let's think for a minute, what, what about faith? Well, I'm going to start and say what faith isn't initially. And I want us to really get hold of the fact that faith is not an intellectual pursuit. Otherwise, I'd be sunk. It's not an intellectual pursuit. It's not a stubborn determination. I must do, I must have faith, I must have faith, I must have faith. It is not that. Faith is not based on trying harder. Faith is not what we bring. It's not skills-based, it's not achievements-based, it's a position in life. It's a posture in life, but it certainly isn't a status in life. And faith is not an absence of doubt. We will all doubt. We will all doubt at times. So what is faith? And I don't know about you, but I'm not going to answer this comprehensively tonight. I can't possibly because I'm not a theologian and I don't know about you but I am definitely on a journey here in faith and I might suggest we all are. But these are just some ideas I'm going to throw out and I just want you to think where am I on my journey of faith tonight? 
What I want to suggest is that faith involves the power of God, which is always available to the smallest faith. So your smallest mustard seed and the availability of God's power changes things. Faith is that we believe he exists. Faith believes that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Faith believes that Jesus rose again and will spend eternity with us. Faith believes he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. Faith shows the reality of what we believe for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith is what we believe, but do we practice it? Does it change our lives? Does it change our behaviour? You see, I grew up in a home that, where I learnt about God. I learnt about Jesus. I believed that Jesus died for me. I believed and believed in eternity, but it did not change my life. What changed my life was that moment when I changed my posture to one of surrender. It was that moment that I changed my posture to one of receiving intimacy. We were singing about intimacy tonight. And the moment I actually chose to surrender my life to God and to his intimacy was the moment that faith came. Faith is relational, completely relational. It's about trust and it has consequences. Faith is relational, it delights God when we come to him. Without faith we can't please him and we're partnering with God and he bends down to listen to us. How are we partnering in faith with the King of Kings, with the Lord of Lords, with Almighty God, who longs for an intimate relationship with you and I? He partnered with Adam and Eve in the garden and said, I want you to look after the world, basically. And he still says to you and I, I'm walking with you in this garden of the world and I want to partner with you and I want to talk with you and I want to work with you and I want to do amazing things together with you in partnership. That's faith. Faith will draw a line between the evil of the unbelieving world and the righteousness of the believing world. We are a family of faith. St. Catherine's is a family of faith. But you've got to know that you're weird. You're weird. Because you'll think differently. Your values will be different. Because you believe in the King of Kings. And that's faith. Because you believe it, it, he exists. But it will make you weird. I.e. you will be different than the world outside. And that is why we need to be a family of faith together. The consequence of faith is obedience. 
It is trusting in God's word, trusting his existence, trusting he loves us. It's totally relational, but it's totally illogical. Faith defeats the enemy. Faith declares to the heavenly realms and the earthly realms that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not you, not me, not mankind, but Jesus Christ. Faith changes the course of history. Irregular things happen more regularly when we pray in faith. And your pastor Owen Heaslip said that a few weeks ago to you. I'm going to say again to you what he said a few weeks ago. Irregular things happen more regularly when we pray in faith. Because God invades situations, circumstances and lives. What circumstances, what situation, whose lives do you need God to invade tonight? Takes a mustard seed of faith. Faith can mean risk, and it means, guys, not leaning on your own understanding. You've got to put down your controls. I've got to put down my controls. So let's recall a few uh, heroes of faith. And I was reading about the history of St. Catherine's and that this land, although you're celebrating 250 years, Actually, this land has been consecrated land, give or take, since the late 1100s. Think about the great cloud of witnesses that have been around this land. I don't know about you, but that makes me weep. Because we're partnering with their legacy. There is a legacy here. There is an inheritance here. But here is a greater cloud of witnesses. It was by faith that Noah built the large boat to save his family and the animals from the flood. He obeyed God. Would you and I do that? Would you build an ark if God told you? It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land. He went not knowing where he was going and he lived in that land by faith for he was like a foreigner living in tents. Are you willing to go anywhere, do anything for God? By faith. It was by faith that Sarah was able to have a child, though barren and too old. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, chose to share the oppression of God's people. It was by faith that Mary believed the angel when the angel told her she was going to carry God's son. It was by faith that Peter chose to get out of the boat and tried walking on the water. Totally illogical. It was by faith that Peter chose to throw his net over the other side of his fishing boat, even when it seemed ridiculous after fishing all night. It was by faith that Peter responds to a vision from God and visits Cornelius so history is changed forever so that Gentiles, you and I, can become believers. What is God asking you to do as individuals, as families, as a church, by faith? It'll be unpredictable, it'll be illogical, it won't necessarily be rational, 
and it will take courage to do. Faith as small as a mustard seed. And Phil is just going to tell you two little scenarios and then I'm going to go on and say, think about the testing of faith. Thank you. These two little stories um, are really a testament to God's kindness and patience. Um, Mark and I used to live in Birmingham and we lived in a red light district um, and in this area there was lots of prostitution and drugs and violence and crime and it was getting worse and worse and we were getting more and more desperate as believers. There were a group of us in that in that particular area. It was called Rotten Park and it really was rotten. And we had little faith, I have to say, but a group of um, believers in that area from four different churches, two Anglican, one Methodist and a vineyard, met together once a Saturday morning, one Saturday morning every month at breakfast time to pray. And we prayed for about four years and I have to say, they weren't the most enlivening prayer meetings. We all came from different backgrounds, and we wanted to respect each other's traditions. They were not always prayers of bold faith and claiming this, that, or the other. They were often very quiet prayers of desperation. And during that four-year period, the prostitutes moved out, the drug trade followed them, the violence came to pretty much nothing, and crime dropped massively. At the same time, the local authority, Birmingham City Council, decided to invest in the local park and made it a place for families. And that came from the tiniest mustard seeds of faith. I'm sure there was a big blessing there because a group of us met together and accommodated one another's different traditions. But that's another thing. But it's a, it was a real illustration of God's real kindness to us. The other one is more recent, earlier this month. I'm a keen cyclist, and one of the things I do, I cycle around Worcestershire, and I visit little country parish churches and go in and pray for the congregation. And on this particular day, it's a lovely day, sun shining, a bit like today, a bit warmer, and I thought, I'm going to this particular place about 15 miles away. Um, God, is there anything you want me to do on the way? Just sometimes I just ask God in, not very often, that's something I'm learning. And on this occasion, God said, why don't you go and sit beside the river in, Bur in Worcester and I'm going to bring somebody to you. And I thought, uh, did God say? Did I hear right? Is that just me? And this actually doesn't fit in with the plan that I had because it's in the other direction. Um, and I sort of thought, oh, and I'm in an hurry. I thought, well, I get my, I get this assignment I set for myself done first. It's a strong wind pushing me all the way back. But I got to this particular church and prayed. And I had a great time praying. And I really felt God spoke to me for the church. And I prayed for them. On the way back, I was getting tireder and tireder on the sort of a back of a 30-mile ride. And I got to a point where I would go left to the place where I felt God saying to go or right to go home. And there was such a temptation to go home and have a nice cup of tea. But I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll go left. I, I just think maybe this tiny mustard seed of faith. 
So I started cycling towards the, this point and saying, God, are you really sure? It looks as though it's going to really chuck it down the rain in a minute, and I don't want to get really wet. But okay, I'll carry on. And I was moaning and groaning. I got to the seat um, that I, was, I felt was the right seat to stand beside, and the seat was covered in bird poo and rain. And I thought, well, I can't sit down, so Lord, I'm really tired, and I'm not going to stand around here for long. All my conditions coming in. And within 15 seconds of putting my bike against the railings, this guy walked up to me and asked me a really random question about swans. And I thought, oh, is this a nutter? I, I don't know. Anyway, I started the conversation, and do you know what? We had a great God conversation. And I just thought back, I could have turned right for home or left to this place. And I did it so reluctantly, and my faith was perhaps half a mustard seed, but he did it. So what do we learn about our walk of faith? God delights as we trust in him. We have to listen out for and be obedient to what God asks us to do, a bit like the narratives that we've just heard. God may ask us to do things that don't fit in with our understanding or our culture or our friendship groups or our school groups or our student groups. God may ask us to do risky things, build a boat, change a culture, leave our home, live in uncom uncomfortable situations. God asked us at one, one period with a six-month-old baby to go and live in a tin hut for a year with no running water. God asked me at a different time to live in Pakistan and I lived in mud huts for, for two years. No running water, no toilets. I remember coming down the hill and helping to babysit for another missionary and she said, Mark, would you get the water? And I had no idea what a tap was anymore. What is God asking you to do? It might be that you're at school and God's asking you to be different than the other kids. It might be that you've got very different values than your friends or your peers. And in faith, we have to stand and be different. It might be that we have to live with unanswered questions perhaps with promises that haven't been fulfilled. But we do need to have listening hearts, obedient hearts, choices to act, and it might mean unpredictable circumstances. Brené Brown says this, faith is a place of mystery where we find the courage to believe in what we cannot see and the strength to let go of our fear of uncertainty. You see, as people, we love closure. We love clarity. We love resolution. We love control. We love the rational. The world wants assurances, but to live by faith requires believing without seeing. And it means letting go. What 
do you or I or as a church, what do you need to let go of today? It might be our methods, it might be our reputation, it might be our image. What do we need to let go of? Let's talk about testing of faith for a minute. Did the saints before us have battles in their minds and physically? Of course they did. They look different to the context of our battles, but the outworking of the battle was still for belief. Did they doubt God's provision? Of course they did. Think about Abraham, who suggested that Sarah was his sister, when, he, when actually she was his wife, because he was frightened and he doubted God. Did God at times appear silent? Yes, he did. 400 years he was silent. Did they sometimes wonder what was happening? Yes, they did. Think about Habakkuk and reading Habakkuk. The fig tree didn't blossom, there was no grapes in the land, the flocks were, were dying and the barns were empty. How many of us struggle with provision? Did they mess up? Yes, big time. David messed up absolutely with Bathsheba. Did Peter mess up? Absolutely, he denied God three times. Do we have doubts and testings? Yes, we do. Did they suffer for their faith? Yes, they do. They were tortured, they were stoned, they were sawn in half yet refusing to turn from God. I don't think anyone here quite yet has been sawn in half. But we have been tested in our faith. And it's hard. And we've got to be real about the testings of our faith. Did they all see God's promises answered? No, they didn't. Did everyone they prayed for get healed? No, they didn't. And yet, they still believed. Was Jesus tested? Absolutely and completely in the wilderness. He was tested. His faith, his faith was tested. If you're the son of God, tell these stones to turn into bread. Throw yourself down and let the angels catch you. His faith was tested. By the Jews, if you're the Messiah, dot, dot, dot. By the chief priests, so if you're the king of Israel, is he? By passers-by, if you're the son of God, save yourself. By the rulers, let him save himself, if he really is God's chosen son. But how did Jesus stand in his faith and resist the, temp the temptations and resist the doubts? He stood and resisted and stood in his faith because he knew who had sent him. He knew his reason for being here was fullness of life through salvation. He knew he who he was, the beloved son. And in the same way, we resist temptation and stand in our faith because we are called by God. We're called by Jesus. We are a new creation. The old is gone and you are a new creation. What is our reason for being here? Can you believe what I'm about to say here? 
We are the image bearers of Jesus Christ. You are a God reflector to each other and to the world out here. You and I are image reflectors of the King of Kings. Can you get hold of that truth? Who are we? We are adopted sons and daughters. We have returned through faith, through Jesus, from being orphans to being adopted. And so on that picture, we can go back to that place of surrender and to that posture of faith. Sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Just tap that on your chest. I'm a daughter I'm a son of the King of Kings. I'm asking you to do it, guys. Come on. Sons and daughters of the King of Kings. Let's say it to each other. Sons and daughters of the King of Kings. That's our true identity, guys. Let's get hold of that. Does Jesus identify with our trials of faith? Absolutely. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus took on all of our sin, all of our anxiety, all of our fear, all of our doubts, so much so that he wept blood. And yet, he said, not my will be done, but yours. And he surrendered himself again to the truth of what God had called him to be. He knows your trials. <coughs> we too experience all these things. Fellow believers being persecuted, mind battles, doubt, confusion, questions. What are you doing, God? And I'm going to be really here, real here. God, why when we pray does our dearest friend die? God, why when we pray does so-and-so happen? I'm just going to share a testimony for myself here. In the last three years, my dad died. To the week a year later, my sister-in-law of 60 died. And this year, the following year, my twin brother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I'm watching it happen again for three years. Has my faith been tested? You can bet your bottom dollar it has. Mm. 